welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace here again with Freya Spence. And today is a very special day because we are celebrating our one year anniversary of the Move Daily Health Podcast. So we have had 25 episodes, or this is our 25th, I suppose. And we've had a lot of really interesting experts in various areas of the health and fitness industry. And the reason that we started this podcast was because we have the privilege of meeting and learning from a lot of different experts and colleagues and peers within our industry. And we wanted to share some of that more publicly because we'd find ourselves having great dinner discussions or booking really interesting consults and found that that information would be wonderful to share because sometimes it's not always available in a book and online is very cloudy. So we wanted to share a little bit of the signal rather than the noise to quote one of our guests, Stu Phillips. Yeah, we found that a lot of the people that we were having these great conversations with don't have massive Instagram followings or this big social media presence. So if you don't, how do you get that good information out there? And this is something I think that we see quite a bit in the health and fitness industry is that there is a lot of noise. There's a lot of messages out there, but without any context. And I think people get inundated with a lot of this information, but don't necessarily know how to use it. And to that point, if you look at our social media, you would think that all we do is a podcast (laughs) because we're not terribly present on there and we're relatively new to that scene because we've been in the industry um, for quite some time and long before social media even existed. So it's taking us a little while to come around to that. Um, and we're certainly not dedicating a whole lot of time to it, but we're dedicating a lot more time to working with our clients and um, recording the podcasts and generally just being health coaches. That term alone usually opens up a lot of questions. And the reason, uh, the first time I heard this term was chatting to my uncle when I was about 20 years old and uh, studying human kinetics, trying to figure out kind of what the best avenue was. I was working in a sports clinic on campus at the time, running fitness tests, uh, organizing a kids fitness program as well, and um, learning about rehabilitation and strength training. And in the context of my degree, we studied clinical biomechanics and nutrition, and there's so much great information out there and so many different areas within healthcare and within fitness that you can go. So health coach is actually a bit of an umbrella term, and it's used quite a lot these days, which is nice to see. Essentially, it it is a combination of factors. And so between Dane and I, we work with clients on nutrition, on movement, but then also on other factors like how to recover properly and manage stress and incorporate multiple types of movement within their day and balance things. So the term health is because we take a a very global approach to someone. We don't have them just come in and follow a diet plan and an exercise plan because exercise and movement are not the same and injury management is one of our key focus areas. So health coaching was the best term to appropriately summarize the fact that we look at multiple facets within someone's health care and help them identify where maybe uh, we can help and where we may need to refer out within our network. 
<laughs> and so Freya's path to becoming a health coach has been fairly linear, whereas with me, I took phys ed, I took gym at Queen's University, and so I got my four-year degree there, and I didn't want anything to do with the fitness industry, so I got out immediately, but that's when I kind of got into the sport of strongman, and I kind of stayed, I saw, I was in the gym all the time, I saw a lot of different personal trainers, I continued to stay up on my research, and became a nutrition coach after several years out of the industry, and I got to a point after a few years that being a nutrition coach just wasn't a good term for what I was doing because nutrition is really just a drop in the bucket. If nutrition is the only thing you're focused on for your health, there's a lot of other factors that are going to negate all that effort that you're just putting into your nutrition. And so when I met Freya, we kind of put our heads together and realized that health coaching was really a more appropriate term and it was a way to really describe how we can help people through all different aspects of their of their lifestyle and health. So this segues us into why did we specifically create Move Daily? As Dane mentioned, my path within the fitness industry is linear, quote unquote linear, <laughs> meaning I've been heavily involved in athletics from a very young age. I come from a family that invested a lot of time, energy, money, and effort within athletics as well. Movement and sport were seen as part of our education, and for that I'm extremely lucky. And um, it's from there that I went into studying human kinetics after a pretty big health scare in my teens that led me to question a lot of what I did know about managing health. And we did discuss that a little bit more on a podcast that we did back in the early days, which we can link in. Um, but suffice it to say, after my degree, I wasn't sure, did I want to go into sports med? Did I want to do a PhD in biomechanics? And um, wound up continuing in the coaching world and taking more and more courses. I got involved with a few different facilities in the city here. Um, the sports medicine specialists, which is now the Cleveland Clinic, was one of them. I also had the privilege of teaching for an education company that delivers certifications across Canada called DTS Fitness Education, and that provided another massive host of, of learning and teaching, and there wasn't a single course where I didn't learn something from the students that we were also privileged to teach. And in through all of that time was always coaching people, and more and more my practice turned to just working with people who were uh, dealing with movement problems, chronic pain, injuries, or unresolved discomfort after an injury, quote unquote, should have cleared up. And so it's like a puzzle to me <laughs> to try to help people figure that out. And a lot of that has stemmed from the injuries that I have succumbed to over the years. So in short, from all of that experience from multiple different areas within this wonderful industry, I had to leave the full-time position I was at due to health reasons and that pause in life gave me a chance to figure out okay what message and what help can I create for people out there that is still allowing me to heal and recover and that's where Move Daily came from because uh, this entire time I've been coaching people and truthfully I started coaching movement at 14 as an as assistant teacher and Move Daily came from the fact that when I reflected on all the experience I'd had, the people who have the most success are not the ones who go to extremes of like training heavily f six days a week or or any type of training to be to be fair or exercise and eating in a very rigid way. They were the people that committed to making a couple small changes every single day. 
they might only go and do structured training. And we'll clarify that in a little bit, once or twice a week, sometimes three. But if they were doing a couple small changes every single day, they were flying relative to the people who did structured training two to three times a week with no changes in their other day-to-day. So that's where Move Daily comes from as a concept because success is bred in all the small things that we do. It's not in an extreme diet plan. It's not in an extreme training plan. And we'd love to tell people that, especially those who are type A and can really kick to it. But uh, much of it comes to tuning into our system and, and knowing how to do that. And so our coaching does encompass a lot of that. And so our our key aspect with Move Daily is to provide the best personalized care for every single client, whether that's through direct one-on-one personal training, through complete remote coaching, or through a combination of both, which is what I think the majority of our clients are getting at this point in time. Um, So it's a nice model to work from that we can really target people that are here in Toronto who are all over the world and give them the same kind of really personalized care to help them with their specific lifestyle and genetics. And finally, an adjunct to all of that, which is actually where Move Daily kind of initially started, was to bring awareness to hypermobility and EDS. Because when it comes to the online world and even in practice with clinicians and therapists, there isn't a whole lot of information out there. Or there certainly wasn't when I started trying to figure out what was going on with my body. So we are within the scope of movement and nutrition and you know recovery we're not therapists we're not cognitive behavioral therapists we are not pathology experts nor do we pretend to be but we provide information for that specific population on how they can improve their outcome in accordance with the fact that genetically most of the training and movement models out there are not 100 percent appropriate So with all that said, uh, about a year ago, we wrote, or sorry, a year and a half ago, we wrote the article, The Five Pillars of Health, because these are the five pillars that we really function within and that we help people draw attention to. So the more obvious ones are movement and nutrition. We have have five because those are the five we chose. I know there are a lot of different systems out there that say they have four. It doesn't matter. There's, There's no dogma here. There's no right or wrong, but the ones that most people will pay the most attention to are movement and nutrition. And rightly so, these are very important pieces of maintaining our health as human beings. With regards to movement, what we find is a lot of people will be referred or they'll come in thinking more in terms of what they have to do in the gym and find that a lot of what we spend time doing is figuring out how to better assess everything they do day to day and to perhaps bring less exercise but more movement into their days so it's a it's in essence sourcing movement back into their days and figuring out what the key things the primary dominoes as it were are that they need to pay attention to in their day to day rather than here just show up to the gym three times a week do these things and you'll be fine i'm not knocking a an exercise plan. Trust me, we definitely program and periodize for people, but we always incorporate how to help people wind down, how to help people wake up and do self-assessments in the morning to find out how their body works that day. When you start tuning into those day-to-day pieces and have a strategy in order to do so, you are less surprised by health events. They won't happen as often, 
But when or if they do, you can catch them very early because you're regularly tuning into your body. Yeah, and this was something that up until, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, I was pretty oblivious to. And I was very much into the strongman training. I was very regimented in the gym. But I was really in the, like, I don't do cardio thing because anytime I would do cardio or play a sport, I would pull a hamstring. And that's because I was lifting so heavily and really devoting all my energy to that that I wasn't exposing my body to these other movement modalities. And so I love the term sourcing movement. Because if we look at the culture we've created today, we have outsourced all of our movement. If we go back 100 years and look at what we'd had to do day to day or 200 years or 1,000 years, there would be a lot more of changing levels, squatting up and down because we didn't have countertops. There'd be a lot more walking because we didn't have cars or public transportation. Hell, there's more chopping vegetables because you can't just go to the store and buy pre-chopped vegetables. Now you can even get groceries delivered. So there's so many aspects of our culture and society now where we have outsourced daily movement that this is why structured exercise is becoming such a more important aspect for people to work in because we are, quote unquote, so busy that we're looking for little chunks of the day where, okay, here's an hour I can go in and get a full-blown workout because I need that hour because I have outsourced all these other little pieces of movement where I could have gotten in the same physical stimulus, but now I'm outsourced everything. So I have to go to the gym and get that in or else I'm behind the eight ball. In short, we're not saying that going to the gym is wrong, but when your movement is limited to that, you can still, in effect, be sedentary. And sitting is not something we are built for but it is something that our society requires which is fine if we also interject movement so we show people how within the context of their day they don't need to totally overhaul their life in order to source movement in order to tune into their systems and no longer be surprised by oh i tweaked this or i hurt that twisting because they have a greater sense and a greater balance so you don't wind up at the end of the day mentally exhausted but physically wound up and unable to sleep it would almost be good if people could just appreciate trying to be less convenient within their days but i know that's a big ask suffice it to say embracing multiple ways of moving by increasing it throughout our day and becoming better generalists rather than specialists, unless you're in sport, of course. And uh, we do train some competitive athletes, but we still try to bring as much balance as we can to their programs to mitigate injury. So unless you have that, it's great to just practice being a generalist. And in the summer, maybe go on a bike more. And in the winter, you might ski more. So there are seasons and all of that variability can really help our human bodies thrive. And at the end of the day, ultimately, movement is basically the communication of our cells. Moving is how we keep our health, our baseline health, where we need it. If you are not moving, it doesn't really matter what you do with your nutrition, what you do with anything else, a lack of movement, you're going to pay the piper on that one. But that segues us really nicely into nutrition, which is another one of our pillars. As I mentioned earlier, I started as a nutrition coach and realized I really was kind of doing a disservice to my clients because without talking about movement and sleep and community and all these other aspects, nutrition was really just a drop in the bucket. So if, again, if you go on social media, you're going to find all these different diets. You're going to hear, you know, veganism, keto, carnivore, all these flashy diets with people saying, hey, I lost 40 pounds on XYZ. Hey, I lost 50 pounds on XYZ. 
And of course, people are like, they're jumping on that next bandwagon. Well, the message that we try to get across to people is that there is really no one diet that is optimal for every single person on this planet. If there's one thing I think science does agree on, it's that there isn't an optimal diet. But the why you're eating, the who you're eating with, and the when you're eating are almost more important than what you eat. Absolutely. And I think one of the big things that we do speak to clients about a lot is avoiding the extremes. So there are some very extreme diets out there that can work for people in terms of weight loss, in terms of improving health in some areas, in some contexts. But again, it comes back to that context piece. It's where are you starting? What are your biggest opportunities? How do you live your lifestyle? This is a big aspect of where we do help our clients try and figure out that piece of what is appropriate and what might not actually be serving you. Most of us are aware that over the years there's been an increase in autoimmune conditions or an increase in GI distress. And on the one hand, uh, you'll hear people say, oh, it's just because we're a really high stress society. And that is not wrong. But within the context of that, most people who are suffering from GI distress or an autoimmune condition look still look for a set diet. So whether we have people who are looking for weight loss or they're trying to heal their gut, we still find people are gravitating to like there must be one way. And one of the biggest takeaways is understanding what foods make you thrive and what foods do you need to lean on in times of stress, whether it's physical stress or mental or otherwise, because there's a massive gray zone. So even though I have a couple autoimmune conditions, there are foods that I tolerate well when it's summertime and the stress is lower um, from a physical standpoint. But in the winter, when stress is physiologically higher, I have to tone down some of the foods that I consume because the level of reaction to them winds up being really, really high. So I'm on antihistamines and things like that as a consequence. And finding that there's a bit of a gray zone and then figuring out which tools you need when is is something that can be a little bit elusive, perhaps a little bit frustrating to people, but it can be done. And that's one of the things we try to help people understand so that they don't beat themselves up because a lot of people will have success with any diet change within the first few weeks. Everybody today could go into one extreme diet and over the next few weeks, most people will see a change. <laughs> but the problem is if that was not something that was actually good for you long-term, like women going on keto, for example, is a good one, they will lose weight at first, absolutely, because you cut all carbs and much of the weight that you lose is just water. But then if we keep going down that route, we start seeing hormonal dysfunction and then we're affecting all systems within our body. And a lot of people who do that will then go even harder thinking that they're doing the diet incorrectly. And the challenge there is, it's not that you're doing the diet incorrectly, it's that the diet is not correct for you. And so understanding that it may fluctuate season to season and in the winter eat more hot foods in the summer eat more fresh foods these are all things that physiologically tend to work quite well with people but we get lost in the whole I must eat the exact same thing every single day that exists within extreme diets yeah, and it's important to remember anytime you get into an extreme diet anytime really that you're trying to cut out calories yes you're going to take out calories yes that can help with weight loss but remember at that point you're also limiting nutrition you're taking out calories, you're taking out nutrition. What nutrients might you now be deficient in? 
And remember, it's called nutrition. <laughs> you know, we want nutrients. It's very important for the body. So it's always taking that devil's advocate approach of, hey, this might be good for weight loss. How is it for health? which in turn is going to be long-term weight loss. So there's all these different contexts to consider. And these are the little things that we try and speak to our clients about. So the first two pillars are movement and nutrition. Those aren't foreign to anyone. So some of the ideas that we're presenting are surely not a mystery and they're not new. <laughs> One of the key pillars that supports movement and nutrition is a sense of self. And within that is knowing why we're doing what we're doing. Knowing why we're doing is so important because if we know why, it trumps willpower. Everyone knows at the beginning of the day, they're typically the most motivated towards making choices for themselves. And as it dwindles throughout the day, because we keep making choices around work, around travel, around family and so on, we lose that sort of willpower edge. It's like a battery draining. Um, and that is quoting from the one thing. But if you know why you're doing what you're doing and you have a very strong sense of self and, and your purpose within your goals, whatever it is that you're looking to achieve, whether it's high performance or whether it's um, lowering your blood pressure or having more gut comfort, more energy, for example, regardless of what it is, if you know that the tools have a very solid why behind them, it's really easy to stick to them by contrast than if you're just doing them because an eight-week plan told you to. And most of us can appreciate that there are certain things that we add in and we're pretty diligent with them for the first few weeks, but then emotions interject. So stress goes high or maybe we're super happy and we start defaulting to old habits. It's easier to override an old habit when you know why the tool that's been prescribed to you or that you've chosen is completely appropriate to you as a human being. And this sense of self is also very important within another one of our pillars, which is community. Because within the sense of self, that's understanding what you need for you to thrive and feel happy and comfortable within your own body and within your own lifestyle. And being part of a community also fills that other void of love and actually spending time with other people. Even if you're an introvert, having a community and feeling like you're part of something is a really big and important part of deep health. There's been a lot of attention put towards communities that have a lot of centenarians, blue zones. So there are parts in the world where populations have the highest percentage of centenarians. And they look at diet and they try to figure out, okay, what is it that they're doing that the rest of the world isn't doing? And one of the key things is just that they have a lot of time spent with community. So they'll make meals together and friends will meet for a meal or dinner or activity. And so doing movement with friends or having that support around any aspect of your health is really important. And in today's fast pace, especially in cities, we find that sometimes people have not intentionally put that by the wayside, but sometimes it falls by the wayside because life moves too fast. And reintroducing that community piece and slowing down a little bit can help reduce the risk of all sorts of diseases. I will say that the one challenge is retaining that sense of self within community. Most of us are most like the five people we spend the most time with. And as a result of that, typically your friends have a greater impact on your decisions around your personal health than even your family members do. And we can link that into the show notes. 
suffice it to say, if you have a strong sense of self, you know why you're doing what you're doing, then, and you have a community that's supportive, even if your habits deviate from perhaps what you used to do, there are ways around communicating that. I, for example, will often choose to go to a meal having already eaten if it's at a restaurant or somewhere that I know I will have a very hard time eating because I'd rather just go have peace of mind, be able to enjoy everybody's companies without the risk of getting sick. This isn't done all the time, but it is done strategically and I'm doing it so that I can enjoy their company and enjoy the very next day because that's just the way autoimmune things work sometimes. The community that I have is extremely supportive of this. Nobody's staring and like trying to force feed food, although I've been around those environments as well and I can understand the stress of that is high. So within the context of community, there is also a a hefty amount of communication around why you're doing what you're doing and having your friends and family support you because you'll influence each other greater than anybody else and any published study telling you you should eat this way will not have as much carryover as the people you spend the most time with which is totally fine and that's an awesome example about how these different pillars kind of play into one another Whereas Freya was just talking about how her sense of self has a big impact on her community and on her nutrition in just one little example. So all of these different pillars kind of play into one another. And that's why that little sense of self piece, it's, there's not a lot to talk about, but it's understanding that you have to be taking care of you first before you can really give more to other people. And if you don't, your health is going to suffer as a consequence. And this kind of takes us into the last pillar, which is probably my favorite pillar now. But as a child, like my mother would just be astonished. This is now my favorite pillar, um, which is stillness. And I think Freya's kind of looking at me right now as I'm gesticulating all over the place. And she's like, stillness, oh, it's your favorite. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is because I love sleep. Sleep, recovery, and taking time away from screens or the barrage of information that we get again i've mentioned social media a million times on this podcast i think but it's getting away from that and just taking time to really check in with your body check in with yourself and give your body some time to just be still and be quiet and be away from the chaos i will admit that stillness was not my forte moving and filling every single day to the max was more comfortable for me because i just I suppose I trained my body that way for a very long period of time and I would hit cyclical burnout, which I wrote about a little bit in the insomnia article we published for the EDS community. Uh, I will say though that stillness is something I had to learn and I used the term lazy once with uh, our osteopath and he was very quick to correct that spending a day at home and not leaving for the first time in about a year was not lazy. It was very necessary stillness for two systems that were quite run down. There are ways to do it without burning out. Most people have had the experience where they get to a holiday and then they fall sick. And it's because they've just been going a mile a minute leading up to it. I'm not against a big push. Dana and I are... (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I was like, sometimes you got to (laughs) grind. We appreciate that sometimes you have to grind and we've both done our fair share of it, but we are both much better at calling each other out when we are pushing too much and it required setting some hard and fast rules in our house after a certain hour no work is done there will always be more to do the next day and we don't work in emergency medicine 
we work helping people and we love it, which is why it's very easy to get roped into extra hours. But if you sleep appropriately, you'll be refreshed and you'll work more efficiently the next day. All of us know this intuitively and yet it's so easy to get caught up in just trying to get that whole task list done. So we cut off work after a certain hour and we go do totally different things like last winter we got really good at puzzles because I was quite unwell and couldn't look at a screen for very long without my neck going berserk so that was a good feedback tool for me to shut things down I love puzzles (laughs) so yeah we got into puzzles which probably neither of us had done for a good 20 years and I'm not saying you have to or anyone listening has to rather but finding something else both of us spend a a good amount of time reading before we go to sleep and not in bright lights and it's been immensely beneficial we're more creative as a result we also had to call each other out on not letting work creep into the weekend because both of us would quite readily just say oh we're gonna just do an hour and then five hours later we've missed half of a beautiful spring day outside and um, those are the things that hopefully If you're on your own, you can hold yourself accountable to them. If you live with roommates or you live with a partner, um, you can communicate and hold each other accountable because that stillness piece has kind of been lost in the world of constant distractions and technology and the tendency to just like go and pick up the phone. I don't know what the rates per hour are now, but I suspect they're far higher than the last statistic I read about a couple years ago. Nowadays, we are habituated to picking up something to distract us like a phone or a screen without even thinking about it consciously but we're not hardwired to actually do that so the stillness piece speaks to that and also speaks to the need for recovery for those of you who love the gym or have a sport that you're competing in Dane and I have both overtrained way too many times and it brings to mind the quote uh, from a colleague Owen Lacey in Ireland saying you can only train as hard as you can recover and I remember him saying that about eight years ago and it was like a pin dropped for me because I realized my training was starting to decline because I really hadn't invested as much time in recovery and recovery doesn't mean don't move and just go sit on the couch but it does mean that you down tune the octane octane. So you maybe go for a walk instead. And we swim every week and we rock climbed and we just mix it up so that you can really respond to how your system is rather than the tendency to think that, oh well, I'm getting weaker, so I've got to actually train harder. Chances are you're just under recovered from the whole process. Yeah, and this is a, another great example of the of the different pillars kind of playing to one another. You know, it's all about that counterbalance. If you're planning to move a lot, to train hard, you better be planning to recover hard. And all of these messages are probably going to resonate a lot more with anybody out there listening who's over the age of 30. Because when you're in your teens and 20s, you f- will probably feel like you can get away with murder sometimes. I know I sure did until... Basically, I turned 30 and, well, there went my knee and uh, just a barrage of other things. So it's just really important to know that when you, you know, things might start to change in your life when you get to be around that age. And that's when it's really important to start considering these other aspects that maybe you haven't been giving enough attention and find that counterbalance that can bring you back to the stage of health that's going to support your lifestyle choices, whether that's training really hard for a sport or just feeling good every day. And we are by no means insinuating that 30 is old. 
it is not it's just when you start to get feedback for your actions a little bit more prominently than when you're 25 yeah 30 is not old at all i just turned 36 and i can say without a doubt that i feel way better in my own body at 36 than I did at 26 when I was just destroying myself in the gym without really considering the consequences and this counterbalance piece that I'm now speaking to as a much more matured 36 year old 10 years later. So to recap, our five pillars of health are movement, nutrition, sense of self, community, and stillness. And that's what we practice personally and professionally and we know that people will spend a little bit more time in one of those areas than another at various times in life and that's absolutely fine it's more that you always kind of have a finger on the pulse in each one of them and you know that during a really high stress work time you may just buckle down on movement and nutrition and then back off and spend more time with community later to kind of recalibrate community and stillness None of this is fixed. Everyone has multiple strategies that they need to employ in their life. So we hope that that has come across in this podcast, that everyone has a different recipe to thrive with. So I think we'd just like to thank everybody out there for listening to our podcasts. We were, well, Freya was certainly really excited to start a podcast when we first launched this. I was like, yeah, maybe when we get a few more things lined up. And she's like, oh, well, this person wants to, oh, we can talk with this person, this person. And after it was maybe two weeks of kind of slight resistance, I was like, all right, let's dive in head first and just start recording these and just get them done. Which is a pretty big deal for somebody who doesn't necessarily like hearing themselves speak. Exactly. I think that's a big, uh, I love hearing myself speak, whereas Freya does not. So a big kudos to Freya Spence for putting herself out there every uh, couple weeks. For the purpose of putting other people out there for everyone's collective information. Exactly. That's a, a great example of selflessness. But she puts herself first and her sense of self to be healthy enough to be able to record these podcasts for everyone. <laughs> Correct. Um, we also want to thank everyone for providing us with feedback over the year. It's been fantastic hearing messages of like, this was helpful or could you do more of this? We welcome that. If there's somebody that you think is phenomenal that we obviously don't know about, please send them our way or let us know about them and we'll approach them. If it's a topic that is within our scope of practice, please feel free to ask us. We are more than happy to discuss other areas of health, uh, movement, and nutrition. If it's obviously not in our scope of practice, we will seek out an appropriate expert, but we really do welcome feedback and we welcome suggestions. The goal of this, again, was to just share conversations that we have with some phenomenal people in our industry who are really... Um, putting their heads down and helping a lot of people within our community. So it has been a great year. Crazy that it's been a year and we've done 25 of these. It's really cool. We have some great guests coming up for the rest of this calendar year and we have a few others in mind for the beginning of 2020. We're getting into the 20s now. This is nuts. So please feel free to head over to movewelldaily.com. Check out all our blog posts, all our podcasts. Please feel free to share them to anybody within your circle if you feel that the information can help them. And have a great end of 2019. Enjoy the beginning of 2020. And we look forward to helping you with your health through the next year and beyond. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. 
and don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.